Hello, welcome, greetings, good citizens of the cannabis community. And just in case no one has said it to you yet, no one would be really sad. Happy New Year from the entire team here at Infused Media. Mike, Francesca, Happy New Year to you both. And if you don't mind, can I throw this your way? How long into the calendar year do you think you can get away with saying Happy New Year to somebody? Because I like to roll all the way into the Ides of March, baby. I like to get all the way into March. Yeah, I'm done with it basically on January 1st. <laughs> it's, all, it's already tired. It's the shelf life is real short for me. Wired to tired that quickly. <laughs> uh, I, I can hang with a happy new year until January, end of January. And then wow. if you see, but you know, not to like everybody you see, if you haven't seen somebody for the first time until then, you're like, oh, happy new year. Like, yeah, I'm going to give you I that you. one still. It would be odd if you said it every time you saw somebody (laughs) regardless of how many times i know what my new resolution is (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna be doing that out in biloxi when we go to that show just happy new year like well i didn't see you you know anyway well look it seems in a way uh like we're still home for the holidays and allow me to explain if you will i want to clarify if you followed the show for any length of time we're so grateful uh for you you may have heard us say something like this that one of the best parts about doing this show and talking to so many interesting people in the cannabis space is that we have really genuinely ended up making some damn good friends uh, in this industry. Um, And that's why today's kind of special, because we get to reverse that just a little bit. Because where Francesca and I are concerned, today we get to interview a damn good friend who we know before the business and and, and our our colleague Mike is meeting for the first time. Um, This is so fun because this is a guy who said goodbye to our our little area here in Delahue, Delawat, Delaware, and went out to uh, carve himself a place in the budding, pun intended, cannabis industry. And look, we are so tremendously proud of what he's done, what he continues to do. And it's it's an honor to welcome him to our show. This is a guy whose work ethic is absolutely second to none. And his passion for the plant and commitment to quality uh, simply exceptional. Uh, he was growing on his own, and now he's part of a major cultivation team for a multi-state operation. Please welcome to the show my friend and the only Probably the only Pittsburgh Penguins fan I love like an absolute brother. Mike McGee. <laughs> Welcome, brother. Oh, uh, thank you so much for the introduction, Nick. It's great to meet you guys. Great to be on this. Great to meet Mike, I should say, Frank and the rest of your infused team. Francesca and Nick, it's so great to see you guys. I've been really looking forward to this for a long time now. Oh man, us too. We have too. We've been talking about you a lot hyping you up so can't yeah. wait to- yeah the bar is high mike the bar is real high <laughs> i don't like the high expectations I'll you <laughs> to those shoes. well yeah no no pressure brother um i i always say this too that mike filled that role for me personally that i think is really important like someone like in my early i was like oh i'm just coming back to cannabis it's better it's better to deal with this condition uh and i, I i'm i'm a you know, I'm a convert now. Mike was there to kind of guide me into it and serve that 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 role that is so important uh, of mentor. And so I was like, I was like, Mike was really my Obi Wan Kenobi as I'm walking into <laughs> the cannabis space. Hopefully, I wasn't as a big of a disappointment as a uh, learner is. You know, some of the uh, fallen Jedi. But Mike, <laughs> I wanted to talk to you, brother. I wanted. We've been talking since God. I think I ran into you in July when you were visiting. Uh, you're visiting our little burg here in Delaware, and I said, I gotta get you on in. Fused and you said, yeah, let's make it happen. Trading calendar dates. So here we are, first of the year in 2023, and I finally get to have you on. So, Mike, if you could tell our audience uh, something that we ask a lot of our guests, what how did you first get into cannabis, Mike? What, what was what was your first experience growing up? West Virginia, cannabis a thing? Was it taboo? What was the uh, environment like? Yeah, I grew up in, in rural West Virginia. Um, smoking marijuana, drugs were very taboo. It was actually in the thick of the, the opioid crisis and epidemic, and uh, it unfortunately lost a lot of good good friends to that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a shame that they couldn't have been on this medicine instead of what was pushed down their throats. Um, but even so, you know, unfortunately, we were, we were in that time in that area where it was frowned upon. I was definitely known. I was in, I was definitely known as the partier uh, in, in my circle of friends. Um, uh-huh. But um 
Yeah, so I always kind of hid that. Never got in trouble or anything, but, you know, I just under, flew under the radar and, and used it. And once I moved to Delaware, where I, I met you guys and some wonderful people. That's where we found it to be much more open and uh, a better understanding for the plant and the medicine. Um, and in that, I got to, to meet some wonderful people, do some research, and really the market in West Virginia was very... Um, very dark, very limited on what you could get. You never knew what you were going to getting uh, a lot of yeah. stems and seeds and, Oh yeah, this is this, but is it really that? And mm. it was Just a real like shame. North of, you know, a bag of oregano. Like <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's interesting, Mike, that you said that, you know, coming from West Virginia into Delaware, that the conversation was a little bit more open. I, I was uh, shocked <laughs> when it comes to <laughs> cannabis. Uh, it was. It actually wasn't too long after I moved there that they de decriminalized up to an ounce of marijuana, and said, like for me, that was huge. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then again, just meeting people from different areas and a little bit more of an open um, market, you could meet and talk to more people that were into the plant. And yeah, it, it was it was a good access point for me to meet people. And people just weren't as secretive about it. They weren't like, oh not cool but... exactly yeah. there was yeah. a few people that, that were kind of hidden but for the most part it was much more open than what i was used to and then mm -hmm. when i went to california everything went out of the yeah. bag at that point. <laughs> <laughs> well we're talking about that look for somebody who's who's tread a path here in in this this young industry that we call cannabis um it wasn't like you could you know you had a college counselor that was like oh here's your interests mike and they have to pertain to these different facets of the business whether it be dispensary work cultivation uh manufacturing any of that stuff uh this is really like a, a diy kind of education you had to provide yourself right absolutely um and looking back you know i i never thought about it up until until i started to get into this industry but Anytime I had a book report or anything like that in some of the school, I always did it on medical marijuana, why it should be legal, why we could use that instead of opiates. And it was just because I, I did it one time, thought it was easy and, and kind of <laughs> ran with it. But, uh, but it, it worked really well for me. And then, you know, as I got older, it's like, okay, so subconsciously that was, I think, always in the back of my mind. And then once I could, you do research on the internet on um, the different things, all its profits and, uh, like learning more about the essential oils and terpenes. This was way back in the day. Um, so in when I was working at the bar, I was deciding to to get into cannabis. I started doing my education from the Tricom Institute and THC University, just some online certifications. You know, they don't hold a great amount of weight, but it was still a good way for me to get educated and, and understand a little bit more of, of what I was going into. Yep. Foundational knowledge. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I should say uh, to to my colleague here, Mike Patterson, Mike, when when Mike McGee was doing this, this and I, he just kind of skirted over his work at the bar. M Mike was the damn best bartender in the city. So let's let's clear that right now. We we miss him every day in Wilmington. We had a little funeral parade when he left. I mean, he was that he was that damn good. It was and, what, and what bar, to. Mike? Uh, Captain Rooney's Irish Pub, uh -huh. a great local neighbor, neighborhood bar. And uh, yeah, a lot of great friends there. Um, the wonderful owners just retired and passed it to their son. Unfortunately, I couldn't be there for, for the retirement party. But shout out to the McCoys and all the wonderful people in, in Wilmington, Delaware, that really carved a big part of my life for uh, the, you know, the three, four years I was there, I believe. And uh, even going back to being taboo, I remember when I was leaving there, telling them I was leaving. I didn't say I was going to grow weed in California. That's uh, right. I forgot <laughs> it was like this big secret. Yeah, we didn't know. Was, yeah. it, it wasn't accepted. I had a great job as a manager. It was bartending. I only worked four days a week and it, it was really hard to move and, and to make that jump, but uh, I couldn't be more happier that, that I decided to do it. Didn't yeah. you tell everybody you were going to get into like uh, pet stuff, yeah, a vet yeah, tech? So, and, and I actually, <laughs> actually did look into becoming a vet tech. And um, I looked at a few schools and things like that. And the uh, end of year salary for vet techs were very low uh, compared no. to. I, I decided that I wanted to either go into plants or animals. I was I was done dealing with people and uh, <laughs> looked into vet tech. They didn't make much money. So I, I went with the green side. There you go. 
<laughs> it was <laughs> it was really confusing. There were a number of different stories out there. Like, what's he really doing? Is it pets? <laughs> is it this? I noticed Bin Laden's gone. Witness was protection is what it sounds like to me. <laughs> yeah. there, there are lots of stories. We thought he was a member of SEAL Team 6. Um, but, but here... You know, unbeknownst to us, our buddy was studying, uh, learning so much uh, about this plant. And that that took you, um, you know, you packed up and you moved across country. Mike, in, in when we're talking about leaps of faith, that's a hell of a one, buddy. Yeah. So um, in, in doing my research and everything, I, I saw, like a lot of people, the different articles like Charlotte's Web, some of these cases where you'd see children with seizures and a little bit of tincture would stop you know hundreds of seizures in a day and yeah it was things like that that really reached out to me so you know, i want to make a difference like that and um through a friend of a friend that i, I met in the bar um they had started a, a startup company in california they've been out there for about 10 years decided to bought some land and, and started their own farm and needed some help and uh said if i was willing to to move out there uh, they they had some room for me so myself, my girlfriend, and uh, my dog, Jester, got in a car and, and moved from Delaware to, to uh, Trinity County, California. Wow. That's incredible. What, what an adventure. <laughs> it was great. Um, you really know if you're going to be with somebody after spending four days in a car, five days in a car with them, <laughs> driving over and over again. Uh, we also had a cat with us as well. So it was nice. It was quite an adventure. And um, so, yeah, I had no idea what I was getting into. I didn't know yeah. if I was, literally anything. You know, some of the things at that point that you would see online or read about was trimigants going missing, things like that. So trimigrants were the trimmers that just kind of get picked up on the side of the road that want to make money up in the mountains. And um, yeah, you just you never know what you're going into. And to be honest, I really didn't know the person that I was going to work for. Wow. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I guess friend uh, of a friend is as close to as we, we had know, met once before. Yeah. We, we had met once before and just kind of hit it off, just open conversation. And then he left. And the more I started doing research and really diving into the growing side, I was like, man, this is really what I want to do. So when we got out there, there was seven of us the first year. And the manager of the farm at that time was living in um, uh, Santa Rosa, uh, three hours south of us there. And um, so he was kind of bouncing back and forth in the weekends. I'm not sure. It was kind of a weird, weird relationship they had there. But um, that and I was fortunate enough where I had spotted a uh, botrytis and some spider mites randomly on a couple plants and mentioned it, caught it early. They were impressed by that. And then just. As the year went on and looking to the future, I spent more time with the plants and in the garden and kind of taking care of things, setting up greenhouses, doing what I could than I did actually trimming the weeds. So it just worked out perfect that, that I got that position. So did you learn like the spider mites and the what was the other thing that you found? Uh, botrytis, so buttonhole, uh, gray mold. Just uh, if you ever see those uh, pictures of the yellow and gray mold inside like it's almost like a spider web cotton candy looking mm -hmm. uh, that, that's what that is um so common in greenhouses outdoor grows get late in the season lots of rain moisture will cause that unfortunately when you grow big size colas they're more prone to to water and and those types of issues yeah and did you learn to identify that from the courses that you took or exactly. did you learn it in, in the field as you were so you know, those specifically, it. I had seen those in on books and online, um, and I, I did as much as I could. Uh, Jorge Cervantes, Ed Rosenthal, uh, mm -hmm. Greg Green, DJ Short. There's a lot of authors that I just try to pick up and read as much as I could about it, and reading it, and then actually being out there and seeing it were two kind of different things because um, at times they are hard to spot and try to figure out what is what. Um, so fortunately, and I just asked a lot of questions, uh, the, the people I were working for, I was very fortunate. They, they shared a lot of knowledge with me. We're, we're kind of an open book. Mm -hmm. um, and with such a small crew, that was kind of really the, the only option. They were either they had to let somebody else take care of it because they were going back and forth, um, trying to set our ways, trying to get our product out. Um, and so it was tough. And they were, like I said, very willing to, to share information with me. And the combination of the education side of it and doing it hands-on and seeing what's out there was, was what really helped me. 
And was this a legal grow or was it um, an illicit grow? So the the first time going out there, we were legal. um, And this was a little bit back in the day where um, it was, you go to a doctor, you get uh, a uh, recommendation for Mm -hmm. you could grow up to 99 plants. And so if we had four people on that property that could grow 99 plants and we all put our posts up, now we can grow 396 plants. Ah. And, and uh, so there, there were ways like that to kind of get around certain things. Um, so in the beginning of my total time there, I worked for four different farms. Um, the, the one that I went for the beginning, the startup, I was there the whole time. And then I would kind of subcontract uh, out, out to other farms uh, as long as I could keep things balanced. Two of the farms were legal. Um, so they first started off with that with number of plants. We grew up to 400, 500 plants. And then we went through the legal route as well through California and through the state process. Those went to 15,000 square foot canopy gardens, um, Mm. gardens and greenhouses that way. And the other properties were the black market, the (laughs) the illicit market there. And they kind of went by their own rules, had some different setups. And uh, (laughs) they they were great. Again, very educational um, too. So the one farmer had been there for 10 years two of them had been there for 20 and 25 years and the other gentleman had been there his whole life his family had homesteaded up in that area since the early 1900s um i don't know how well he could read and write but the guy had been up there timber hunting and growing fruits vegetables yeah uh and just i would say oh you know mike nice to meet you i came to work over here for you so okay you know i need you to do this and it wasn't until a few times after we had worked together that he was like, okay, my name is actually introduced himself and get, and I obviously knew his name, but yeah. he wow. never said that until uh, we, we were there, but uh, he was very old school. And just, again, an open book. And everyone that I had met was, was very willing to share information to people that were passionate and enthusiastic and willing to learn, not just somebody coming out there to get rich and make money. And yeah. you know, the, the, the bad stories you hear about yeah. exploiting that side of the market. Mike, what was it like coming, like when you first got out to the Emerald Triangle, you're a young kid, you know, girlfriend, dog, cat come rolling up in a car into the Emerald Triangle from Delaware. Um, <laughs> like, what's that like? like? Your first night, your first couple of days, like how long did it take to get acclimated? Like, what was that like? like it was a big, uh, it was a big shock. Uh, I didn't really know. So we get out there and we meet, meet the, my friend and his girlfriend that had, been out there and uh it was their property and said okay we're heading up the mountain now because there's no way to get up there there's no cell phone service our power was by generator and solar power is kind of the only way you have power up there we were startups we didn't have money for solar um so it was literally power by generator if you wanted to use your cell phone you could use wi-fi but you didn't have wi-fi calling at that time so you'd literally have to drive 15 minutes 30 minutes to use your cell phone um the first first year i was there the first six months we lived in a tent together um so uh that was that was a fun little situation there um but yeah there was six of us on the property there lived in a tent um bounced back and forth like i said we would you go down to um the the local towns were eureka and ukiah um north and south about two two three hours so you go to walmart santa rosa had the uh, the costco that's where we got all our make the big splurge then and get all your supplies. <laughs> but um, yeah, power by generator, water by well, pumps, everything like that. Um, yeah, I, I had camped before and, and done things like that. But to this extent, it was definitely eye opening. And uh, yeah, it, it was a big adjustment at first. And as I say, cooking by fire, by camp. So we had access to a kitchen and a few things, but basically it was one small house and I'll use the term house very loosely uh, for <laughs> three people lived there. And then four of us lived in, in tents for, for the first six months. Inside so did, of the carport. did you know you're going to be camping for six months when you went out there? We had a good idea, but it wasn't. Yeah. We didn't know to the extent of what was going on. Um, yeah. Going to sleep in sleeping bags, fully clothed. Um, yeah. And I mean, it was waking up as the sun came up, going to bed shortly after the sun went down because there's really nothing else to do out there um, except spend time with each other and, you know, grow the plant. It's great to read and to to learn a lot and ask questions, but uh, 
Yeah, it was, there was definitely some difficult times being up there, being limited, uh, trying to communicate with people. I mean, I remember I went the first year I was there at one point, I went two months without going back into town or seeing anybody more than the six, seven, eight people I dealt with. And the first time I went to Costco, I was starting to get nervous, starting to get a panic attack because I wasn't used to seeing, you know, hundreds of people again. And wow. Wow. That's crazy. That's I. What a what an extreme environment and an extreme change to put yourself through, and and in an extreme like climate and circumstances because I mean I think everybody knows the nickname of Murder Mountain so I didn't know if you had any you yeah. know stories on that side of the mountain. So I actually have never seen the documentary of, of Murder Mountain, uh, which I I really need to, but. Uh, from my understanding, and I knew I know the story that it's based on and everything. So we actually lived on that mountain, um, but we were on this side of the mountain as opposed to Alder Point, uh, where we would go there for groceries. So there were two uh, gas stations up there, which would charge a dollar more for gas than everywhere else that was down um, in Absolutely. the city and everything, because they were mm -hmm. the only place up there. Uh, I remember like a pack of ramen noodles would be a dollar twenty-five as opposed to, you know, the 25 cents that you get yeah. at, at the stores, because yeah, that was, if you wanted it that bad, you were going to pay for it. Sure. At least. Uh, the only thing that was priced correctly was beer. Uh, they would charge about the normal amount for beer, which, okay, we can work with that. Cut you a break. <laughs> yeah. There the was, essentials there were, are covered. There were times, because it was honestly a, a tight knit community. Um, you know, you hear things like that, but at no point, was I necessarily scared? Like you never want to make a wrong turn and end up on somebody else's property mm -hmm. because you just never know the people up there. You meet some interesting characters. And like I said, they're, they're very shy, but once you can kind of get in there and start working with people and once they meet you and understand what, what you're about, they're pretty good, but they are a very scarce community. And, you know, we heard the stories about the people going missing and, you know, I met one farm that allegedly was in that group that showed up at the guy's house uh, following the, the things. And you hear stories like that. Again, you don't see cops up there. Um, you know, that part, if, if you see cops up there, there's a bus going on or something dangerous. Yeah. Um, the, the big people, the thing that would scare us would be um, e the environmental uh, protection agencies and stuff they would go out mm -hmm. for people diverging streams doing things they weren't supposed to putting a lot of phosphorus back in the, the ground um things like that that would be bad for the environment they were the ones that were getting most of the growers up there in, in our areas and mm -hmm. um we were good about you know trying to do that trying to take care of the place that, that you are um I, we were trying to get to the points of regenerative farming and trying to help other people out and take care of the land um but unfortunately, not everybody's as conservative uh, or uh, you know considerate uh, as, as we were. Did it, did your girlfriend feel safe too? Did Britt feel like she was okay? I mean, was it a different experience for her as a female? Um, she felt safe up there and everything, and we were together for the most part. Uh, yeah. But there were times because she was a massage therapist as well, so she mm -hmm. would actually go to other farms that we knew and massage some of the workers there to make extra money. And there was one incident where you would go to a, a gated community and they would open up to three or four different farms. And she got to one gate and was waiting for one of the owners to come down. And another group came in and I think they were Eastern European or some type of Asian, um, you know, not cartel, but gang mm -hmm. type of affiliates. And they were going back and forth and she's actually lived in Hungary. So she started speaking Hungarian back to them and they kind of like paused and were thrown off for a second. And then, the uh, owner came down and I worked it out and, and everything like that. Um, but that was the only time um, any, and again, not really threat, but of just what's going on here. You never wanted to break down. Um, you would see cars on the side of the road all the time with bullet holes in them. And if, yeah, if you broke down overnight, you, if you're not with your vehicle, good luck to what, what it looked like the next morning. Cause yeah, people come in, strip it, just shoot guns at it for, for playing around um it, it was mike you so you must hate when when people use the term loosely when they're like well it's like the wild west out there brother you were in it yeah <laughs> yeah we, we were definitely in it and uh like i said a lot of great memories a lot of good times um i'll never forget my first year there uh i was probably more not scared but worried about wildlife um having the dogs and just everything that 
So mountain lions were a big deal. Um, So, you know, you go to sleep and hear kind of mountain lion at night. There's black bears, rattlesnakes. I actually killed a rattlesnake. Brittany cooked it. We ate it. (laughs) Uh, That was a fun little. Num, num. Um, But so one night or when we first get there, we're talking and the owner of the property was like, you know, hey, if you hear some like somebody yelling or it sounds like somebody yelling for help, a woman, don't go. It's a mountain lion in heat. They'll, They'll scream and yell. It almost sounds like somebody yelling, help or help me. I said, okay, you know, good to know. Um, and that's kind of it. So a couple months, you know, a month goes by, a few months go by, and he's gone. A few people are gone. And it's the manager was there at the time, and he's doing a lap, chicken coop. We had animals, everything else, making sure everything's good. And we're, I think we were watching a movie inside or something. It was nice and quiet. And he comes running in. Guys, guys, somebody's getting murdered up in the woods. we got to go help. And, we, you know, we get up where we look, we're like, okay, what's going on? And he starts, he's like, God, somebody's getting murdered up in these woods right now. And he's like, we got to go save her. And I was like, you sure it's not a mountain lion? And he's like, man, I've been up here for eight years. Like, I know it's, it's, I've never heard this before. Somebody's getting murdered. We have to help this woman. And so we hop in the truck, drive up on the road a little bit. The guys are kind of looking around. We get back to the property. And once you get in the gate, the main house was this way. The barn was down a road this way. And that's where we had our product. So we, uh, we get out as, and we lock the gate. I said, I'm going to go down, check the barn just in case there's something going on, just, just to be safe. And I, of course, I walk out there, not at all thinking there's a mountain lion out there. And I'm walking out towards it by myself, no light. Check, everything's good, of course. Get back. And I just hear him on the phone like, huh, that's what a mountain sounds like, huh? Let me look it up, huh? And he pulls it up on YouTube. And sure enough, yeah, it's like, yeah, that's that's the sound I heard. Guess I've never heard it before. But yeah, we were walking right around looking for a mountain lion. Bunch what it? What an wow. area. It, um, it, it's incredible that it's just as weird as it's portrayed in documentaries, TV, uh, and that kind of thing. I, I'd be remiss if we didn't get your take on this, Mike, at, b- during this California segment we're doing here. Um, now knowing what you know and being in a position that you're in uh, back here out East, do, do you think you, you really benefited from learning the ins and outs of, of the black market and the rec market, like wearing both of those hats? 100%. Um, yeah. you know, there, like I said, the one gentleman had been up there his whole life. Um, one thing we had kind of focused on in the long run was trying to processing and distribution and harvest and going along that lines. And, Essentially, we would pull up to, to your harvest at the end of the time, uh, hang it up, drive it for you, process it, trim it down, go and sell it to a dispensary was kind of one thing we did at a certain point. And working with some of those people, they we had moisture meters. We were trying to do very specific, uh, this exact moisture to run it through to make sure everything looked where we needed it to be. And I was always curious of watching this gentleman that would just by touch grab and say, it's ready, it's not ready. And he wouldn't be the exact, you know, obviously as accurate as a, a meter would be, but he was pretty close every time. And when you feel it and do it for that long, that over again, and there were other farmers that we would talk to about, and, you know, purple flowers, you know, he would, had this beautiful purple strain and I would throw out different types of things to kind of help with making colors pop out and, and tricks. And he, he would do all those things and have no idea how he did them scientifically, but it's just what he's been doing for years and years and years. Right. And so, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was really great to see hands on how they do things. And I would say 70% of it, 80% of it was very beneficial. 25, 30% of it was the pseudoscience, the bro size, the things that you hear about that this is how it needs to be done. And then you talk to a, some of the PhD or, you know, masters in horticulture or, and it's like, that's not true at all. That's not how plants work. And, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but being out there, it was fantastic and being able to learn all those different things. And yeah, that it was, it really was a wealth of knowledge that, you know, shout out that I don't think they get enough, enough love that the OGs, the people that have been doing this for way beyond the last 20, 30 years that, you know, Many of them are in jail or, you know, fortunately have avoided jail, but they, they have so much to learn and pass on. And unfortunately, this industry has been kind of so closed doors and secretive because you had to be for your own protection. You know, if you go out telling people what you're doing or trying to show pictures, that's how you got caught. And mm-hmm. so 
it, it, it's we're starting to get there. But yeah, it's it's great to be more of an open door and to share people's ideas and, and to get their different perspectives and inputs, because that's how we can grow and become the best industry that we can be to, together. You know, that, that's what we need. That's a great yeah. point. That's a great Definitely. point. We see that in a lot of different angles in the industry too, Mike, in terms of, you know, all different levels of participation, whether it's dispensary, the producers, ancillary, like all the segments have a lot they can do together to help make the industry better as a whole. Absolutely. That's, I've been very blessed on, you know, being out in California and doing things organically from seed to sale to go into a dispensary and trying to sell it, um, to working in a dispensary firsthand, working with patients, you know, we'll get into some of those details later, to back in the growth side on more of a commercial and large scale process. And it's been great to get the different perspectives. And I can kind of say what what I've seen and what I've done and, and witnessed firsthand and, and pass that along. And again, it's all about working with teams together. And, you know, we're with who I'm with now, we're vertically integrated, multi-state operations. So we're able to kind of pass those ideas off each other and work. And it's been a very, we have a really great team and I, I feel very blessed that I've been able to work with, with this amount of people now. So Mike, just for my knowledge, and it's the audience too. So how long did you spend in California and then what brought you back East? So I was out there for three years in total. Um, okay. my, my third year out there was 2018. And that was when they started to kind of tighten up on the regulations and things got a little bit more more strict out there. And from the beginning, it was always processing and distribution was kind of where we were focused. I was able to focus on the garden and take care of all that. And when it got to a point where they kind of had to pick and I knew what was coming up with that. And I had options to stay out there and do things, but I had some family issues going on. And that kind of brought me back East to, to Pennsylvania, to West Virginia and that, that region. And it was tough at first. It was, you know, I went back and forth of, of what should I do. But at the end of the day, I felt I can make things happen on the East Coast and there should be plenty of opportunities the way it was growing. So I came, I actually stopped in Colorado on the way and thought, well, this is a little bit closer halfway. Maybe <laughs> I can make this work. And uh, you had to be a resident in Colorado and that wasn't going to work. So uh, all the way back to Pennsylvania where I actually reached out to, I think, every grower in the state. Um, I, never, I remember talking to Nick and Francesca about, you know, what you guys were doing at the sales joint and everything you had going on. And um, it was tough. It, it was honestly really tough. And it, I didn't realize it then, as I know now, I've thought like the whole recruiting and hiring process where I would apply for a place in, you know, Pennsylvania and the recruiters in you know, Arizona, Illinois, Missouri, wherever they may be located. And so trying to communicate that stuff. And I, I talked to people that it took, they would apply, you know, 10, 15 times just to get a call back from different places. And wow. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a struggle. I thought, Oh, I'd have no problem getting the job coming back East. I've been in California. Yeah. You're been with it, the OGs. You it, know, it, them. Was, it was a struggle in, in the beginning. Um, but yeah, fortunately I, I was blessed to, to get on with the dispensary and get to work firsthand uh, with patients. And Pennsylvania was really cool because they have a, a law set up where pharmacists have to work in the dispensary. And yeah. so as a patient, I got to work very closely with them. And as you guys know, I ask questions as much as I can. And so anytime a patient would come in, they would, we would get to sit down together, talk about things, go over different things. And whether it be children with different disabilities and, and problems to people just wanted to come in to, to what's the highest THC. I want to get as high as I can to elderly patients that had never been in there before. Yeah. Never smoked before haven't smoked in 40 years. And they're trying to, to try it for the first time. I use the term smoke, but you can't actually smoke in Pennsylvania. It's vaporized, right. yeah. uh, you know, capsules and yeah. tinctures and yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So is there, is there, I know that I don't know how to ask this question without just kind of telling you grew your own strain, right? Um, so yes, we, we grew strains that were specific to us that had never been grown by anybody else before. Yeah. We created our, a couple of our own strains. What was, what was that like? I mean, is there a reason that you went there beyond just curiosity and seeing if you could do it? Was there something you were looking for that didn't exist yet? Or was it just like, I want to do my own thing and I want to try it, or I want to give somebody these effects. And so I grew this specific thing. Uh, to be honest, I wasn't real <laughs> sure. And 
our the the strain we created was a happy accident um one of the the people that lived with us actually had epilepsy as well so we did grow cbd strains also and that was one thing that was very important to me was because i look at this plant you know for the medicinal uses of it it's not just about the thc that does do a lot of great things besides you know just getting people high and psychoactivity for pain relief and there, there's a lot of other things but the cbd the cbg different terpenes in the plant there's there's so many medicinal benefits to all those that i wanted to find ways to focus on that and so that specific time was a happy accident uh we'd love to get that that is a, a passion of mine to get into genetics and specifically breeding and sitting down doing lab analytics and figuring out what works best for what you know patients so it does work for everybody differently and CBG is one thing, it, it works really well with patients with uh, gastrointestinal issues, Crohn's disease. I believe it's great for, um, um, uh, to relieve pressure in your eye sockets. Um, oh yeah, that's glaucoma. right. Uh, mm -hmm. So for, for reliefs like that, CBG unfortunately turns into THC and CBD and CBC. So almost it's very, that's why you see such low numbers because it almost immediately turns into to the other pro, uh, molecules so it's th those are things that i'd like to to look specifically at and grow for unfortunately i've never had the ability to do that at this point but we're still heading in the right direction to help people um so yeah i hope that kind of answers your question um <laughs> we, we did grow once but it was more just for experimental and r&d research as opposed to specific um specifics right. yeah it did answer the question. And uh, Mike, if, if you could be, you know, Mike and I are sitting here uh, in Delaware, just fascinated that Francesca had trouble asking a question. Uh, that That's a, it's a first. Happy New Year. <laughs> that's a first on on the Infuse show. So Mike, Mike if you could quickly tell it, to, what are your day to day duties right now uh, yeah. as as far as what you're doing in cultivation? So yeah, now I'm back up in, in cultivation and growth facility. I work with a really great team, mainly hands-on with our with our IPM team, um, integrated pest management. I have my pesticide applicator license, uh, so everything that comes along with that. Fertigation, the irrigation side, um, environmental controls, just the basics of, of checking in. Fertigation. I'm I'm in all assets of our facility, helping out where I can, and just trying to be available to to anywhere I can be. Um, you know, we do different types of things in there that, yeah, just, just any, anywhere I can help, uh, from, like I say we're vertically integrated. So from the only side of the part I'm not in is, is the lab at this point, which maybe down the road I'll get into, but I, I like the cultivation side enough. Yeah. It seems like As, one feeds the other too. So the more, yeah. the more specialist you are and really tightly understand what's happening in the, in the greenhouse or in the grow facility or outdoor, no matter where the garden is that's going to lend itself to more knowledge once you get in the lab because you understand the grow conditions and all the variables that go into creating a great product and, and product that has issues that you have to overcome. 100%. You know, I always kind of say the point of what are we looking for to it? To, what are we growing for? You know, is, is it flour that we're, is looking to be vaporized? Is it looking to be extracted? So do we want more surface area to get more trichome heads or, you know, everything like that. Is it more terpene specific? Are we doing a CBD 15 to one ratio? So let's make sure we can kind of keep those numbers a little closer every time. Um, and so, you know, I always like to say kind of put some goals out and plan and know what you're growing for and towards and makes things a lot easier when you're organized and, and have a game plan together. Yeah. So let me, can I ask this real quick, Francesca? Yeah, go um, for it. And this is to you and Nick. I haven't really heard too many people talk about starting with what the end product is going to be and grow to that. Normally I feel like our clients are always, they grow and then be like, okay, now what do I do? And they just <laughs> see whoever will take it type scenario. Do you know what I mean? Like, Oh yeah. I yeah. thought that was, that was like, I was captivated by that description that Mike said around what's the end product you have in mind and we'll grow to that. hundred percent. And I, I've talked to, you know, people over the years, I'll say consulting, but I, I've, talk to people and again, that, that's always my question. What, what's the end goal here? What are you looking to do? And so many times with this market and CBD and hemp and everything else, it's, well, I want to make a lot of money and I yeah. have this space and I can grow this. Okay. What are you going to do with it at the end? 
where's your water coming from? What type of pest management situation do you have in play? And you start asking questions and there's a lot more that can kind of play into it than, than people look at sometimes. Yeah. Very but, cool. Yeah. There's only one way to get there. You have to learn, you start in one step at a time and getting there. And, you know, again, asking as many questions as you can in this industry, it's, you know, the rising tide raises all ships. And that, that's kind of the attitude I think we need to have here. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, nothing great can be achieved without being enthusiastic. So, you know, be, uh, there are English teachers there. I'm sure you guys know Emerson from that quote. Uh, oh, but, uh, I'm a Ralph Waldo Emerson devotee, my friend. Yeah, but it, it's very questions. nice. Don't, don't ask me. I only know that from the gym. <laughs> so, uh, hey, that, was, that was impressive. It was. And, uh, and you rattled off three expressions in a row, like one after another. And, you know, <laughs> I, I try to use those things to motivate people and to be passionate because I am, you know, every day. And it's not easy. Not every day is sunshine and rainbows. But mm -hmm. when you wake up and you try to uh you know, a lot of people know that and try to motivate people as well. You know, I used to coach when I was younger for a short period of time. I'm big into sports and, you know, a team, a group of people working together to achieve a goal can do anything. You know, people are really powerful. So, uh, yeah, again, if you're enthusiastic and you're passionate about it and willing to learn, there's there's nothing, you know, we can't achieve together. Do you find those qualities to be more prevalent in the legal market or in the illegal market? Ooh. That's a great question. That's Francesca. a great question. <laughs> it's almost um, like a would you rather. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've seen both. Um, the one thing about the the kind of illicit black market being out West was if this crop fails or, you know, you lose some plants, that that's your well-being. Like we had, that, that's how we survived at the end of the year. We didn't make, you know, every two week paycheck necessarily. It was get through this. And once we get to the end, we'll see, you know, what, what kind of product we have and go from there. So people are very passionate, but I was surprised how many people in California were would say that there's plenty of people out West that didn't, you know, care about the plan. It was just a paycheck. It was whatever to them. And I think it's like, you know, you see that, that anywhere, um, you know, the 90, 10, 80, 20 rule of people yeah. are interested and really want to make a difference. And some people are in there to just make a paycheck and, and get out of there. And Hey, I, absolutely. It takes every type to make the world go round. And if, if that's what we're here for, okay. I, I understand that. I can work yeah. with that. Yeah, you can't have all chiefs in your tribe, man. You need some <laughs> Indians in there. Exactly. You know, don't, don't tell me you really want to do something and don't, you know, don't care and don't put the effort in because then now we're stuck. So yeah. Well, it's interesting talking to somebody with a background in cultivation that, that really does have a, a strategy in mind, like like Mike brought up with the one question he asked you, and you you have that end result in mind because we we've 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 worked with, or maybe I should say we've decided not to work with people that are like, well, this stuff's just going to sell because it's going to come out of the ground, and you know, we just going to sell. It's going to sell itself. It's fire, you know. I mean, hang on is there a legitimate strategy in place and are you are you you know are you listening are you are you seeing what 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 consumers want um and and not trying to tell dispensaries that this is the weed you'd like to have and and we we know people like that and we've we've uh, parted ways with them or decided not to get in bed with them so it's very <laughs> out of thing. Yeah. absolutely um 100 and you know our sales team takes care of a lot of that so i don't you know specifically into that um, but yeah, we do work with, uh, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this here. Um, you know, it's good when you have to carry yeah. drum roll, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Can you ask that question again so I can answer that properly for you, Nick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I was talking about that. It's refreshing to hear uh, from a cultivator that has the end result in mind and doesn't just assume because I have something I brought it out of the ground, it's going to sell. So yeah, right now uh, we've seen. I mean, pretty much all over the United States, a lot of the marketplaces are down. Um, you know, larger companies are laid off, things like that. So that whole oh, you know, it's it's great. They're going to buy it no matter what is is kind of out the door in a lot of markets. You know, it depends on where you are. But it's definitely not it. And we do work, you know, they have certain things that they want to, they look to, again, what, what are we growing for? Is it THC percentage? Is it, you know, terpenes? Is it extraction? Is it, you know, grams per square foot? Is it, you know, uh, how much does it cost us uh, per, per gram to grow, you know, per gram? So all those things do, do play into effect, but it, it is a group effort between the cultivation, management, sales team, dispensaries, all the way down um, to, to make that, that work and see what works best. Um, 
it breaks my heart. Unfortunately, we're in a time and I don't know if we'll ever get out of this of the THC percentage rules off. Um, it's awful. You know, it's, it's something they can, I understand it's something they, they see a number, they can quantify it. Great. And so they think, but it's so, so difficult to get people to look beyond those numbers. Can you, can you tell me as though I don't know anything, why we shouldn't just base our decisions on a THC number, particularly if my goal is just to recreationally use. 100%. So there's all types of, you know, you'll hear the phrases like the entourage method, things like that, the terpenes, the flavonoids, the, the cannabinoids. There is a lot more than THC. There's THCV, CBG, CBC, and they all, again, do different things and we'll, we'll work together in a symbiotic effect to, to get you to where you want to go. And, you know, we've, I think we've all had situations where you talk to a user, usually a novice user where they say, Oh man, this at 18% got me way more beyond to where I ever was at this 30% product. And because the terpenes, the other products in there worked with your body and your metabolism and your endocannabinoid system that way. And that's why it affected you better. Um, I wish there was a, a magic wand that would tell me what works with certain people and that. And unfortunately, that's why we get to, you know, the descheduling of, of marijuana is huge. And to go out, activists, to vote so we can get more medical research on this to, to figure out yeah. these answers and hopefully get more funding and get more answers. Because we're all looking for the best way to grow and the best products and the best way to, to do this for the patients in mind. Uh, <laughs> At least most of us are. <laughs> oh, sure. So I was going to pepper you with one right there. And you, you know, do do you think dispensaries are doing enough to to uh, to dispel that myth when people come in? I mean, I, I know they want to make the sale, um, but that that high THC percentage um, might not might not be for the person for the patient that's walking through your doors. Absolutely, and you know, anxiety, and that that's a big one that that a lot of people, you know, hey, I, I tried this one time and it. I was through, through my head. It, it wasn't great for me. I was freaking out under the covers all night. And so that type of information, so, okay, well, maybe we want to avoid sativas and limonene or certain terpenes that will give those paranoid effects. And um, I, I like to think they are. I know when I was in the dispensary, our team did a really good job of sitting down. So our dispensary, you would walk in, you get checked in, you'd sit in one waiting room, the bud tender would come grab you, it'd be a one-on-one. -on -one. I'd sit you down at a table. What are we looking for today? Full menu out in front of you. If you knew what did you want, you wanted to get in out there quick, as quick as you could, great. We can do that. If you have questions, let's sit here and talk and figure out what, what you're trying to do. Um, now that I've been in there post-COVID, things have changed, online ordering. It's a lot more of an expedited process, which, again, for somebody like me who knows what I'm looking for, knows what to do, a lot of times now we can find the test results on the, the websites, not all of them, but some of them. That's great for me. But what about somebody who, as you guys talked about a first time patient, somebody that's novice, somebody that's new. I'm, I know they still have those opportunities and the butt tenders will ask questions, but how well of a job are they doing post COVID? That's one I, I don't know. Huh. Yeah. From our experience, not, not the best, not, for, and I'm not saying Pennsylvania because I don't have a medical card, so I don't shop in, in Pennsylvania, but I certainly know in the States that we've been in, what you see, what they advertise seems to be for the low hanging fruit, the high THC percentages, some popular strain names and, you know, what's on sale, bing, boom. stuff that's inventory that's been there for a while. They're trying to get rid of. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah Francesca, I think one of the things that really jumped at me and in a lot of states that we've seen post COVID is there's not enough help in terms of just sheer number of bodies in the store to help the consumers. There's, they're short staffed. So then that ends up being where the, the buying relationship, selling relationship is transactional because they do, they're not there to try to spend 15 minutes talking to somebody because the line is getting longer and longer and longer. So I think that's the other unfortunate part of it of is the patient care, so to speak, is deteriorating because there's just not enough people out there working. Yeah. Mike, yeah I think you're right. That's a great point. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Um, and cause again, I, I just see things in Pennsylvania for the most part, I think, you know, again, back to that 80, 20 rule where 80% of bud tenders are great and we'll take the time, but there's times where there's nothing I love talking about more than marijuana. And um, they, 
you know, okay, here's your product, get in and out of there. And rush. Like, okay, mm-hmm. great. It's yeah. a rush job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's, it's a shame. Um, 100%. I've been in those busy times where it is busy and you want to get people in and out of there and I can respect that, but yeah, it's it, the market's different. And I know in, in Pennsylvania, we can't um, see the product. So, and it's the same. Uh, let me back up and say that's similar in Colorado and California. I've dealt with great bud tenders that want to sit there and take your time and get your opinion with you. And some that, Hey, this is what I like. This is what you should have. That's a mm-hmm. no rhyme or reason. Um, but yeah, so it, it's everywhere. I got, I got one. I got one. I'd like to ask all three of you real quick. Do you, what, what, what role do you think national brands have to play in that where people are just like, give me the brand. Like, ah, I, 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 I want that brand. I've heard of that brand. I want that brand versus uh, you know, what, what might be the best product for you? Do you think, the, do you think national brands and the weight they carry have any uh, contribute to that at all? Who starts? <laughs> I think our guest starts because you would know if it's working <laughs> yeah. in all um, sides of it. Absolute. I mean, so I think a big thing that they need to do that our companies have done when I was a dispensary, I would see a lot of different companies send sales reps in and people to talk about your garden and give you the background behind it. In California, they would say, okay, we want the, the free samples to try and taste and stuff like that. You know, Pennsylvania's a little stricter. We can't do things like that over here. Um, and we can't actually show um, the, the product. So when you go in there, you literally have a menu to look at. Sometimes they might have a little picture on there, but is it accurate? Who knows? But I know when I'm doing pheno hunts and we're, we're going over what we were looking for and new plants and what we want to put on the market, we talk about bag appeal, but realistically, does it matter? Because they don't see it until they take it home. And you know, I thought it would be great. You know, it's, it's definitely easier for national brands because they have more tools and more, more availability to post things online. I thought it'd be great to put QR codes on like your product and it could take you a snap to a website, a background on the product, whatever, however you want to set it up. But I thought yeah. that would be something really cool to, to help educate people. We used to put pamphlets out and things like that to go over stuff. But again, who's going to re- it, it comes down to who's going to pass that information along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I do think the national brands have that advantage of name recognition. So we were just talking about the New Mexico market where you also can't, you know, open and yeah. smell. So there's no, can't tell if there's a nose on it. You can't see if it looks good. You can't, you don't know if it's old, if it's whatever, you're really at the mercy of whoever is helping you at the counter. And if you are a novice user or even just, you know, not a careful necessarily user, then you're just going to trust that they're giving you something good. And if you have a bad experience, basically your bud tender can make or break some repeat business for you real easy. 100%. Yeah. I think the trust factor is what, is what drives that one, Francesca. And also the national brands, they have the, the deep pockets and the, and the resources to market and to reach consumers in a way that a small independent farm could never do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'll I'll tell you one other thing, if I I can speak on um, the Department of Health, like advertising, things like that. We have to go in Pennsylvania. A lot of stuff has to be approved by them before we can do anything. So how educated, how willing they are to let us do certain things is very, very tough. It's very tough. Um, You know, we we did a local toy drive, coat drive, things like that. And the way we have to go about doing that process to get it to the people they we have to you know do run through a little bit more hoops than most people uh, yeah makes they sense don't, they don't they don't sense. hand you a cup and tell you to go to the bathroom do they yeah, that's yeah. just that's just classless that's just <laughs> classless damn it exactly. us cannabis people have feelings too um my i don't need God. to take a test to tell you i'm on drugs yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, I know we're rounding out we're rounding out our our time with you today, and I feel like I speak for the the entire Infused team, and I think we could do like three hours just talking business and talking cultivation with you. Um, <laughs> I know that we usually like to end up uh, our our episodes with a little little uh, levity, uh, and I thought I thought I know Francesca's got something she's going to ask you, and something she always does. Uh, I had one for you here. Um, and because we're here with, with again, Wilmington's best bartender. Damn it, yes. I miss you. I miss you. I wanted to ask this for our audience, for our team. 
Can you tell me, can you educate us? Put that old bartender hat back on for a minute. What is the most obnoxious move someone can pull to get the bartender's attention? <laughs> I love it. Um, if you ask John Banks, touching touching somebody across the bar is a big no-no. Uh, I've seen him flip out on many people on a late night for, for trying to get his attention. What about Mike um, McGee? What 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 is the one that gets you? I'm I'm pretty he doesn't get bothered. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm pretty low key. If you reach across the bar and touch stuff, you know that's my two three feet of space. Don't cross that barrier. I've had people reach across, try to pour their own beer. Ooh, touching me. I, you know, again, it's not. I don't like it, but it's not the end of the world. Um, yeah, that not, not a snap or a whistle. Hey, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they can do that all the time. Um, I, I, I used to say when people would always say, whenever you get time, whenever you get time, whenever you get time, that gets annoying when they say it over and over again. Uh, <laughs> but no, there, there's not too many. Um, I would say touching, reaching across the bar, holding out the money doesn't was, was fine. A credit card out, that's great. So you're ready to go. Uh, I actually kind of preferred that. Um, yeah, just being kind of respectful. Uh, well, those are two things I don't do. I've never yeah. reached across yeah. the bar. Yeah, no, I, I like touched. it. I like that we haven't done this. Hopefully, Ooh. the staff up at, up at Rudy's in Hell's Kitchen is like, "Yep, Infused has never done that to us." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> very, very good education stuff here uh, for our crew. And I got to tell you, oh man, reaching across, grabbing the bartender—that's that's foul. Brutal. That's yeah, a foul, man. Injection. Violation. You know, it's not a violation. Francesca's segment that we do at the end of every Infused show. It's time. For would you sometimes rather... it is a but, violation? Yeah, I guess sometimes it is a violation. That means <laughs> oh. we need we need our producer extraordinaire back because he's going to play with us as he always does. Frank, how you doing there, brother? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Outstanding. Good, Nick. Hopefully doing you good. just hopefully you just enjoyed <laughs> your visit with our friend Mike. I did, of course. Mike, uh, what was that? You called me Nick. Yeah. <laughs> it was it's that pen a- I had earlier. Sorry. We had two oh, bikes, <laughs> only one Nick. Uh- it's one of his resolutions. He's just going to call us by either name. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be frank for a while. Francesca. Yes. I want to know, would you rather, since every, well, almost everyone's done the, at least both of these, move, have to move your home every year or have to change careers slash jobs every year. And you're directing it to who first? Nick. Switch jobs or switch homes every year? Switch jobs or switch homes? Uh, For some reason, I think switching homes would be easier than that. Uh, uh, Yeah. Really? Do you remember when we moved out of our apartment? And how we haven't moved for like 13 years since? (laughs) Apparently Francesca doesn't like your answer. Yeah. (laughs) But I, I, I like working here. I Shut know. Up. I know. <laughs> All right. You want to move every year. All right. Mike McGee. I think I would have to go changing jobs every year. Over, yeah. Over changing a home every year. Yeah. After moving cross country, living in tents yeah, and all of that. that it's be, like... I mean, if I was only living in a tent, I guess it'd be easier. But, uh, <laughs> sure, it depends on the home every, you're moving. Yeah. yeah, with the animals, everything I've accumulated over the years, I think I'd, I'd go with switching careers. Um, That's good. Good. Frank? This one's easy for me because I don't own that much stuff. Um, so... <laughs> And I'm moving in a couple of weeks. February first, baby. <laughs> wow, we didn't know this. You'll have to get this story off air. Yeah. 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 So no. you would move houses? I'd move houses, yes. And moving jobs, yeah, that would take way too long. We tried moving email software and that took like a month. So <laughs> <laughs> there's so many you extra did. things. <laughs> All right. Mike Patterson. Yeah, I'm changing a- jobs, hands down. Really? How come? Because like moving your home is a pain in the ass, like just a lot. Um, But also like your home is your home base. Like that's where like at the end of my job, that's where I go to relax and unwind and all that stuff. So I feel like I'd rather have that intact and have the chaos just during the workday, five days a week or whatever it is, versus having a stable job and go home to chaos. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that answer. That was a damn good uh, go around, Francesca. Thank you for that thought. Wait, what was, Francesca, what was yeah. your answer? 
almost got away with it. Uh, I, Thanks, <laughs> I would say I would change jobs every year because I would always be learning something new. And like the first year at a job, it's like being a freshman. So you can kind of be play the like, I know card. And you can also climb the ladder. You get to meet new people. You get to learn new things. You get to advance your skill set in a lot of different ways. And wow. home moving is just, it's awful. It's, I hate it. I yeah. hate it. Yeah, it's moving. pretty bad. It is pretty bad. So, mm -hmm. Nickel move houses, I'll move jobs. I do. <laughs> I did just remember one other story from Murder Mountain. If you guys have a few minutes and you'd like to like to hear. Yeah. Bring it. Roll it. Roll it. Uh, so as I said, there's, you know, um, no, no cell phone service powered by generator. Um, one evening, uh, the boss, it was my second year, went down to San Francisco to pick up somebody, do, do a few things. The other two people on the farm was my girlfriend and his girlfriend, and we sent them to a neighboring farm to do some trimming work, do a few th projects, whatever. So I was the only one there for two days, I think, was the plan. <clears throat> I'm in the barn. We just harvested everything, working, you know, comes late in the afternoon, time for me to go back up to the house, make some dinner, eat. I turn on the power, and I start getting all these messages on my phone. Hey, call me. Hey, call me. Emergency, this and that. So I called the owner up. I'm like, hey, what's going on? He said, everything good? Uh, I was like, yeah, all's good. He said, I just got word people are robbing people this time of year. They're breaking down fences and it's harvest time. So just, just be aware. If you need any protection, there's a gun in, in the safe, in the combination, revolvers in there. Okay, great. Um, so make something to eat. I walk outside. I'm you know, smoking a joint, relaxing. And these headlights come up to come near our gate start slowing down. I'm like, well, that's weird. Start facing down. So the house is here long. It's maybe 60 yard driveway in the gate. Lights are pointing down the gate at the house. This is really weird. So I grab the gun and grab a flashlight, walk out and um, lights are there and the high beams are on. So I can't see anything but lights. And of course the flashlight dies, doesn't work. So all I have is my revolver, Jester, my dog's going crazy. And oh, no, I'm like, yo, start yelling. Can I help you? Nothing. No response. Start yelling a little louder. Hey, and I'm walking up the driveway in the dark towards these people. And in my mind, I'm starting to think, okay, like this, like I'm about to get robbed. I've got to go like, and so the car starts moving forward. It got past the gate and I let off the warning shot and then started yelling expletives, everything. I've got the gun getting ready to shoot at this car. And I just hear, what the F are you doing? And it's my girlfriend and the other girl. They're like, I was like, what, what are you guys doing? They're like, they called us, said that, you know, people being robbed, go back, just everybody go to the, the house and hang out for the night. I was like, well, nobody told me. I, had to walk, I was oh. to shoot the car. Light it up. I, was, I had to walk away and calm down and everything. And oh my God. Wow. So like, Mike is so baked. What is he doing? <laughs> <laughs> story and they're laughing they're like oh you know huh, funny funny and he grabs the gun he's like like oh you're serious like there's bullets missing and i was like yeah it was yeah i thought i was getting robbed at that point but it was and they oh. they thought i was yelling at the dog all they could hear was me oh. they said i looked crazy eyes were wide like it was oh my i had to walk away and, and regain myself for a while yeah i'll bet i couldn't hear anything i did the classic would somebody answer that phone so oh, i put yeah. the gun off right by my ear not thinking oh Fun times, fun times, oh, fun times. Man, oh. fun times on Murder Mountain. That that was the closest we ever got to that. Wow, that's good. Cool. That's a good story. Can't, I can't thank you enough for this opportunity. It's been such an honor, Mike. It was great to officially meet you, Frank. Likewise, Shane, Francesca, Francesca, Nick. Oh, dude, always. I it, can't wait till next time. Oh, yes, brother, I can't wait to. To you here in person, stop by and see us. That would be great. Uh, number of firsts on the show today. Francesca has trouble asking a question, then then just <laughs> fires off the best questions. And I think it's our first rattlesnake killer. Actually, I don't know about that. Nikki Lawley probably killed a rattlesnake in her hundreds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe AC Moon. Um, oh, definitely AC. No, <laughs> man, this has been an absolute pleasure. Mike McGee's been our guest. Uh, he's He's been our friend. We value your time. We're so grateful that you joined us today on Infused, brother. We're going to see you next time, okay? Thank you so much, guys. I can't wait. All right. Well, look, we love you, and we miss you here in Delahue, Delaware. Delaware. We'll see you next time, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.